You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Hey, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Well, all good things, as they say, must come to an end. It is the end of our experimental five-part series on the 71st Academy Awards. We're going to be talking about the thin red line today. Manny, you excited to close it out? I am excited to close it out. I've been a big fan of us doing this serialized version of the uh, Oscars retrospective. It was an experiment that you and I uh, both were looking forward to giving a try, and I think you and I would both say it's been a smashing success on our end. I haven't heard any feedback from anybody, so I'm going to take silence as a yes, which is the opposite of the Me Too movement. So, um, But it is definitely the way we'll be doing things going forward. <laughs> Manny is laughing because of my wince at that Me Too joke. <laughs> I apologize. That joke was completely, uh, completely tasteless, but I had to say it. So, Manny, if people want to tell us what they thought about the serialized format or complain about the joke you just made, where can they reach us? They can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can reach us on Facebook at the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. They can email me or Sam. At sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. They can also uh, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Luminary. Just search out the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. And you can like us up there and uh, hit us up and subscribe to our stuff. And if you're ever in the mood, you're ever talking about podcasts with some friends, why don't you give us a little mention there and uh, tell your friends to give us a listen. We would love to try and rope in some more listeners so they can be offended by my tasteless jokes. And yeah, that's everything we got. Cool. Love it. Offended by our tasteless jokes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you, dear listener, are listening to this episode, that means that the voting is closed for our Halloween episode. Congratulations to the winner, which, as of recording, me and Manny do not currently know because we have not opened the voting. But uh, <laughs> we... But you, uh, listening in the future, lucky you, can go to any of those aforementioned locations and see uh, which movie we'll be talking about on, uh, well, for our Halloween episode in the last week. Yes, 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 yes. Super excited. So that wraps up the the gobbledygook before we get into the big important part of this episode. Well, the first part, we have two parts in this episode. The first part is the last movie in the 71st Annual Academy Awards that was up for Best Picture, and that is The Thin Red Line, which was released January 15th, 1999, obviously a limited release in L.A. and New York in December, uh, directed by Terrence Malick, written by Terrence Malick, based off the James Jones novel, starring everyone in the world that's a male. Um, It has a 78 Metascore. It had seven Oscar nominations, zero wins. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Dramatic Score. It had a budget of $52 million. It grossed 36 in the U.S., 98 worldwide. The plot, 
adaptation of James Jones's autobiographical 1962 novel focusing on the conflict at Guadalcanal during the Second World War. That is a horrible plot. Synopsis by IMDb. But whatevs. Um, <clears throat> oh, damn it. What was I going to say? I said something I wanted to talk about on air, and now I don't even remember what it was. Who cares? Sam, this is the last of the five films in the 71st Academy Awards. I know you hadn't seen this movie. Why don't you give us a little spoiler-free thoughts on The Thin Red Line? So, spoiler-free thoughts, Thin Red Line. Tell you what, Manny, worst thing that ever happened to this movie? Being released the same year as Saving Private Ryan. That is the worst thing that could have possibly happened to this movie. Um, it, I believe it is probably doomed to be compared to that movie forever. I, in, I 100% uh, agree. In a, in a negative light, unfortunately, because Saving Private Ryan is the greatest war movie that's ever been made. Uh, as we discussed last week. <clears throat> that being said, uh, Thin Red Line was a very interesting movie. I, I liked it a lot. It was uh, it was relatively exciting. I, I think, again, the unfortunate part is we just watched Saving Private Ryan last week, so every part that was good, I was like, yeah, that's pretty good, but, you know, Saving Private Ryan has a better insert analogous scene here. In fact, the first the first thing that comes to mind, I'm not going to name names because I'm not spoiling anything here. There's a death scene pretty early in the movie where I was thinking like, yeah, like pretty good death scene, but there's a way better one in Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> and that's that's so unfair of me to think. It really is. But that, that was just, it was unfortunate that I watched this right after. So I did my best to sort of separate the two. Um, this movie has a lot to offer. It has... It, as you said, everybody in the world is in this movie. Everyone with a penis, anyway. Yeah. Um, and the uh, there, there's a number of awesome technical aspects to it. I think the cinematography is really good. The score is also really good. It's funny. A couple of instances in this movie, I was just thinking, boy, that sounds exactly like the score from Inception. Like, exactly <laughs> like the score from Inception. And I had no idea who did the score for this movie. And it's who other than our boy, Hans Zimmer, or at least my boy. I don't your, know what your thoughts he's on your, He's your boy. John Williams oh, man, is my I, I love me some Hans Zimmer scores. Love me some Christopher Nolan scores. But yeah, Hans Zimmer does both, of course. He does Thin Red Line and Inception. So, uh, yeah, I guess he, he was reusing a couple of his uh, melodies I, I kind of picked up on. Um, overall enjoyable experience, a couple of issues, which we'll get into, I think, uh, with, uh, the spoiler section and, uh, kind of unfortunate that we had to watch this one week after the greatest war movie ever made, but, uh, enjoyed it nonetheless. Awesome. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this movie. I've seen this movie. Um, I'd probably say about, this is probably the seventh or eighth time I've probably watched this movie. Um, and I know for a lot of people, that sounds like a lot for me. It's actually that's pretty low, especially for a movie twenty years old. Yeah, uh, I I do really like this movie, and I, and I won't lie. I think watching it this time, this is the most I've ever enjoyed this movie. I oh. kind of forgot how much I really did like this movie. It's actually been quite a while since I've watched it, and I found myself completely drawn in and completely loving large aspects of this movie but there are some that uh, I do have a problem with um, this movie is in my opinion worthy of the nominations it got but I don't feel it was robbed of any wins um, but there are some things I will discuss about that when we get into spoilers uh, this movie is definitely worth checking out if you kind of want a different type of 
war film. It's completely different from Saving Private Ryan. Um, yeah, so let's just uh, let's just dive into it. So uh, spoilers for The Thin Red Line in three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Sam. What did you the one the one I think the highlight of this movie for me like the one what's the word I'm looking for I guess the best part of this movie and that's it's not to say the rest of the movie isn't good but it's really unfortunate that this like you said this it's really unfortunate this movie came out the same year as, as Saving Private Ryan because the cinematography in this movie is breathtaking mm-hmm. but it had no chance against the work that was being portrayed by Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, I uh, as long as we're on the cinematography aspect, the first scene that really impressed me. Well, I mean, there were a bunch of parts that really impressed me, but the 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 main one that really caught my eye from a visual standpoint was uh, the scene in the grass where the camera's doing all these crazy pans and dollies yes. through the grass, and it, there, there's all these really exaggerated camera movements going through the grass, and it's so seamless, and there's no like blades hitting the camera or anything. And uh, yeah, I, I really liked how um, it, it was a different style of camera movement. Well, in uh, Saving Private Ryan, the camera is just supposed to feel like an observer. Um, this is a lot more artistic and it draws attention to itself a little more in the Thid Ren line, but it's not a bad thing. It's just a, just a different style. Yeah, a completely different style. Terrence yeah. Malick, in my opinion, is when I, when I hear the word auteur, this is one of the filmmakers that first comes to mind. He mm-hmm. is really about the art of film um, because one of the problems I have with this movie that's always bothered me is there really isn't a storyline. It's just, I don't even know how to explain it, but there's, there's no real story to this film because there's so, there's so many characters. There's no one or even like a group of central characters that we follow other than only because I was paying such attention Am I able to name three? I can name three characters off the top of my head. Yeah, I can tell you right now that there are some movies where when we talk about them, I refer to the people as their characters. And there are some movies when we talk about them, I refer to each person as their actor. I am going to be referring to the actors for the majority of this movie because I cannot name a single character in this movie off the top of my head. I'm looking at the list right now and I recognize a couple. I, I, I know can- that. I, okay, go. I can do three. I can okay. do Wit. That's Jim Caviezel. Yep. Fife is Adrian Brody. And Captain Staros is Elias Coteus. Yeah, I, I could not have named any of those. I think, yeah, I remember that Brody was Fife, and that was about it. Yeah, and that's it. And that's kind of sad. Uh-huh. It just kind of shows that, again, this, this movie... Malik didn't seem to be interested in telling a story. He just kind of be, it was almost like, oh God, I hate to say this. It was almost like an art project yeah, and a beautiful art project and very, I guess for lack of a better word, and I'm not even sure if I'm even using the word correctly, but this is very metaphysical. It's very philosophical. This is a very philosophical film. Yeah. Lots of lots of voiceover narration talking about things I didn't I, I won't even lie. I truly didn't even understand. Yeah. This movie is one of those one of the movies that's just kind of it's so kind of 
deep and introspective, it kind of goes over my head. Mm-hmm. It's funny. One of the last notes I have written down on on my book is uh, would benefit from rewatch because I, I was I was spending so much time and energy trying to map out whose relationship to who is what and what the current objective is. And, uh, you know, that was sort of a, a futile task. Unfortunately, it didn't really like like you said, there's not really a central plot of this movie for, for you know, a lot of it. Um, so I think the the more metaphysical aspects of it tend to take center stage a little bit more. And I'm not going to lie to you the same way. I didn't really, I, I was not on board there. I was trying to sort of nail down a central theme or uh, some sort of message that this movie is trying to say with all this philosophy that it's spewing about. But uh, there's not honestly a whole lot. All of the voiceover stuff seems relatively um, disconnected. Uh, there's some talk at the beginning about how there's no other world out there um, and how the I don't I don't know. There's a lot of voiceover, especially in the beginning, that I just don't really understand. Um, and I was I was hoping you would be able to help me out on it, but uh, <laughs> nope, I, I am it, not it, it your guy. Not. Yeah, I don't have the don't have the quotes handy right this current moment. But yeah, there's a lot a lot of voiceover that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. I'm I'm sure there are some philosophy majors out there who heard this and went, yes, what a what a fantastic reference or what a fantastic uh, notion. But I uh, a lot of the voice. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie to you. In a three-hour movie, um, I, I kind of got a little bit annoyed with the voiceover towards the end and how frequently it was used and how little it seemed to add. That was one of the weaknesses in this movie for me. I agree. I, I think the lack – I shouldn't say lack. Hmm. No, I'm going to use that word. I think the lack of focus and the lack of basically a central plot is kind of the detriment to this movie – but on the flip side, like, it's shot so gorgeously. I, I honestly can't stress enough how gorgeous this movie was. And that's one of the reasons, if you remember why I asked what you watch your movies on, I was really hoping that you were watching this on a TV instead of a computer screen so you yeah. could really get the, the effect of the cinematography in this film. It's, it honestly is – it's really unfortunate that this did come out this year because this is a – slam dunk win for best cinematography if it wasn't up against Yanis Kaminsky's work in Saving Private Ryan. Those shots you're talking about as they're trying to take the hill through that those t- that tall grass is exquisite. The camera work is superb. I-, I love the cinematography in this movie. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking at a quote um who is is Geisler a producer? Yeah. Uh, yeah, producer uh, Geisler or Geisler. He was talking about uh, Malik's vision for the film. This is this is a quote from uh, the producer. Uh, Malik's Guadalcanal would be paradise lost, an Edist, an Eden, excuse me, raped by green poison, as Terry used to call it, of war. Much of the violence was to be portrayed indirectly. A soldier is shot, but rather than showing a Spielbergian bloody face, we see a tree explode, the shredded vegetation, and a gorgeous bird with a broken wing flying out of a tree. So yeah, that's. I, I can see the the message is sort of being portrayed there. It's um, there's very little on screen violence actually. Like a lot of the, a lot of the violence is um, out of camera, and I say that relative to you know Spielberg. Yeah, totally. And that's actually one of the things that I did like about this movie is mm-hmm. that even the on screen violence, it doesn't show the horrors of war. Like a lot of people get shot. There's like Woody Harrelson's death, he tells us that his ass got blown off. 
and we don't see it. There's no reason for us to see it. He's not Malik isn't here to freak us out or to show us the horrors and the bloody aftermath of war. Again, he's more interested in the philosophical side of it, the reasons why and things like that. Now, he goes a little too deep and a little too philosophical for my taste, but it's one of the things I did like about this movie is that there, while there is a lot of violence, it's there's nothing graphic. Like, I, I honestly can't even really think of a lot of blood that was even shown on this movie. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. The most graphic image that I can remember from this movie is the dead soldier they come across who has his legs. Uh, uh, well, he's been dismembered, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the bloodiest image I can remember from this movie. Yeah. And um, I, I, I really can't, honestly, I really can't. Str- I, I just want to keep stressing on how good the cinematography is. And then on the flip side, I also want to stress on how the lack of story is kind of the the detriment to this movie if this movie had like more focus like it, the the battle of guadalcanal is from my little knowledge of most of my knowledge of world war 2 is on, is on the european front yeah. i actually don't know a lot on the uh, the pacific front and if i'm not mistaken guadalcanal is actually a a fairly important battle in world war 2 but they don't even talk really about the importance of this. Again, Malik's not interested in telling that story. He's he's interested in these men's dealings with war and their thoughts and their fears. Fear is a, plays a big part um, in this movie, and I love the depiction of it on all fronts. The, the one soldier who is so sick from fear that he can't even rush the hill. Mm-hmm. The if if you know um I don't know if you know the actor by name is uh the actor's name is uh Dash Mahook, he's the redhead. Um right. in it he's really good. You can his look of fear in his eyes, it's a it's a great performance. Uh, Captain Staros played by Elias Kotayas, his fear of losing all of his men just trying to take this one hill in a in a way that he thinks is not worthy. Again, fear is a is a massive part of this film. Yeah, I uh, I agree with that. I, I really love uh, Staros and his scene uh, refusing uh, the super intimidating Nick Nolte. Oh, uh, the- Nick Nolte is giving him a direct order to basically murder all of his men uh, and go on a suicide mission, and he, he refuses. And Nolte continues yelling, and uh, Nolte probably has the uh, flashiest acting performance i'm not saying necessarily best but of this cast he has the most to do he gets to really chew on the scenery and uh and kind of ham it up a little bit um not not in even in a bad way just no i know exactly he he does like he does have the most the most scene to chew on there are four performances in this movie that i really would like to single out nick nolte is one of them i think he is absolutely superb uh, Elias Koteas, just like you said, as Captain Staros, is again superb. That scene between him and Nick Nolte over the phone when he's refusing to take that order, for me, is yeah. the highlight of the movie. Jim Caviezel is excellent. And Sean Penn, again, just reminding me how incredible of an actor he is. That first scene between him and Jim Caviezel when they capture him from going AWOL. <clears throat> His intensity... Is just something I am a big fan of. I, I I'm a big fan of Sean Penn's work. 
Yeah, well, we've talked about Sean Penn on the show before uh, with uh, not not very often, surprisingly, but with Mystic River, I think uh, we we talked a lot about Sean Penn. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the <laughs> the taking of the hill, which is basically kind of the main, I guess, the kind of takes up the main the most part of this whole movie, um, is so well done and. Again, that scene between Nick Nolte and Elias Coteas on the phone is <clears throat> is so good. The acting, Nolte, just uh, my my favorite part of that scene is Coteas is is refusing to take the order, and Nolte, he's so great. He's it's again like we say every episode. It's the little things you can see. There's that one moment. Nick Nolte's so angry he can't form words. He has that moment. He just like he doesn't even know what to say. He's so angry, and then he's able, for lack of a better word, compose himself. And he's not composed at all. It's 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 such a great moment between two actors, and it's over the phone. I think uh, Nolte's character is one of the only ones in this movie who actually undergoes. Um, at, at least on first viewing, uh, ap- appears to undergo a significant character change from beginning to the end of the movie. Nolte is the only one who I- I'd say is markedly different. At the beginning, he's just the guy who yells. That's yes. basically his job. He gets to be the stere- stereotypical, uh, stereotypical, excuse me, uh, army colonel. And by the end, uh, he's sort of become a little bit more reserved. He's become uh, uh, a little bit more of a softy, to use his word. Um, he becomes, um, <clears throat> he begins to sympathize a little bit with, uh, Staros's cause and, uh, b- becomes, becomes a little bit more, uh, careful with the lives of his men, I think. Yeah. Um, there's the, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go for it. There's that great scene between Nick Nolte and John Cusack where after they've taken the hill and they're making some progress, Nolte just wants to continue pressing forward to continue with the progress they've made. But John Cusack keeps telling him, he's like, these men need water. Mm-hmm. And Nolte just keeps pressing and keeps pressing. And John's just staring at him. He just keeps looking at him. And he doesn't have to say anything. And Nolte eventually breaks himself down to the point where he calls three runners to go get some water. It's a, it's, Nolte is really, really good in this movie. Yeah, he reaches the logical conclusion by himself. I yes. do love that scene. That was a that was a really fun one where he's just yelling and yelling and yelling, and Cusack is just kind of staring at him, letting him work it out for himself. Yeah. And then he eventually calms himself down and says, "Yeah, we need to we need to go get some runners and get some water for these men." <laughs> um, circling back to the hill for just moments, um, there, a couple things I I want to touch on is I always I I don't I never want to call it comedic, but I always did. It, Oh God! For lack of a better word, I always enjoyed Woody Harrelson's death. I, I can't believe he blew his own ass off. Yeah, and it's played well. It's not played quite for comedy, but it's still a little funny. It's it's melodramatic is the word that came to mind for me because yeah, this was what I referenced in the uh, non-spoiler section where I get that it was even supposed to be a different sort of tone. Um, then, well, well, this death scene was supposed to be different. Should I spoil? I don't know if I should name names, but the, the scene that I listed, if you listened to last week, the one that I listed as my favorite scene other than Omaha Beach and Saving Private Ryan, that death scene 
is just infinitely better in almost every way than this Woody Harrelson scene. Not that this one's even bad. It's just like like I said, it's a little melodramatic, and Woody Harrelson sort of he hams it up just a smidge. Yeah, I get it. To- I totally get it. Mm-hmm. The the only scene that would come, that would uh, and I don't mean to despair. I don't mean to any way, shape, or form disparage Wade's death. Spoiler alert for Saving Private Ryan. Um, <laughs> I, I spent so much time and energy trying to I know, avoid saying that. And maybe. I said spoiler alert after I spoiled it, but whatever. Well done. Yeah. If you're listening to Thin Red Line and not Saving Private Ryan, that's kind of odd. You've done it wrong. You should go watch Saving Private yes. Ryan. Um, the only scene that comes close to Wade's death scene in this film is I again don't know the character's name, but when Sean Penn runs out to help his friend who's been shot, it's a great scene. And his and he friend just lights a cigarette for him. Just lights a cigarette for him, and then runs back, gets some morphine so he can overdose because he knows his friend, the, the guy's not going to make it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great, uh, it's a great scene. As much as we like, as as much as you and I obviously love Saving Private Ryan. Like you said before, it's so unfortunate that this movie came out the same year because any other year, this definitely could have won Best Picture. There's a lot of great things about this movie. It just, it's the wrong subject matter and came out the wrong year. Yeah. How unfortunate is it that there's two World War II classics and two Elizabethan movies that came out this year? That's, or sorry, uh, three, three World War II three. classics. Yes. Yeah, three World War II classics and two Elizabeth men. The Oscars kind of knew what they wanted this year, huh? Right? They liked them some period pieces. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really, like, like, I really, I really, really, really liked this movie. More than I think I ever have. And I think it's just because, I, I don't know, maybe I've gotten a little bit older and I'm no longer harboring any resentment towards any film that tries to, knock off saving private ryan from its perch because now I, it's basically cemented itself as arguably the greatest world war ii film of all time greatest war film i'm i i, I there's definitely some what what's what's close out of curiosity lawrence I, of arabia ah okay all right yeah which uh which you know i haven't seen right yes yes i do okay. know just yes. wanted to just wanted to make sure yeah yeah i i won't lie sam i uh periodically uh take a peek if uh lawrence of arabia is ever being played at cineplex for the throwbacks and if it is ever in calgary i'm going to buy you a ticket and oh we'll, wow yeah, yeah I, it'll be it'll be uh, my treat and <laughs> uh i might even if it's ever it, honestly if it's ever in calgary I may drive out there, and you and I will see it together. It's a date. That that if if it's on a weekend, I could make that work, and I would do everything in my power to make that happen. <laughs> That's hilarious, actually. Yeah, I, it's it's a date if you can never make it happen. Yeah, I, I I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm keeping my eyes open. Um, <laughs> the other thing, <laughs> it's such a minor thing, but on. Uh, just again want to circle back onto the hill uh, there's a couple th- the, the hill takes up a large portion of this movie and there's a, uh, some other things I'd really like to touch on but I don't know if you caught it but it always stood out to me and I always loved it it's just this little sound design with Jared Leto's sleeves when he gives the signal for them to move forward it's really pronounced that you can hear his sleeves because yeah. there's no talking <laughs> and it's like that th- th- 
uh, that thwip thwip sound of of I I don't know why of sleeves flapping. Yes, I fucking love it. It's minor, <laughs> and yes, I'm being a huge nerd geek over it right now, but I fucking love that moment. It's it's funny. Uh, sound is so damn important for movies. We we nerded out just a little bit over again Saving Private Ryan last week with a lot of the sound. And it it scenes like this that show why it's so important because that's such a visceral sound that adds a sense of realism and adds a set sense of texture mm-hmm. to the world that I did not notice. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I did not notice it, but I can hear it right now with you describing it. Yeah, that's that's how effective it is. It gets into your subconscious and digs in there. No, I did not notice the sound design for that. But now that you mention it, that's really good sound design. Yeah. Um. The other aspect of the taking of the hill I love is that Malik rarely showed the Japanese soldiers' point of view. He had a couple shots of them, and that's why when they're climbing up the hill, you can't see those bunkers. Mm-hmm. I love. I I couldn't imagine that terror, and it's ra- it's right then. Malik again shows it. He really shows the fear and the the realism of what these men are going through in that scene where Leto motions for his two guys to go forward, and they look at each other. They're scared. They don't. They you can't see where the guns are, so they have no idea if when they stand up they're going to get shot. They look at each other. They nod. They stand up. They take about four steps, and they're both shot dead instantly. They fall to the ground and disappear in the grass. Yeah. It's a fantastic shot and moment in that movie. Yeah, the, the I can't imagine the fear that would have taken place in a situation like that. And isn't there isn't there a shot of Jared Leto as well after they get shot dead, like a little a little panic expression, and yep. then he and then he signals the rest of his men up. Yeah, he's like that. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what? Um, I did notice, uh, and you already pointed it out, is that. Yeah, not a ton of the sh- not a ton of shots of the Japanese soldiers in this movie. And you know what it kind of reminded me of? Reminded me of Dunkirk a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, um, if you recall in Dunkirk, there's not a lot of shots of the Germans in that movie. Uh, it's all about the Americans, and there's it's like this evil, faceless enemy. It's almost like a horror movie. It's just well, like this the this Brit- entity. The British. Sorry, the British in Dunkirk. Thank you. Yes, the British, not the not the Americans. Pardon me. Um, Contrary to what Hollywood would have you believe, there were other countries fighting in World War II <laughs> other than uh, other than America and Germany. Um, yeah, so the uh, the camera is only in with the British soldiers in Dunkirk, and it uh, and it doesn't show any of the Germans. They're all like this faceless monster, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I got the same kind of vibe, uh, especially in this hill scene, because later we do see a lot of the Japanese, and we get a couple of a couple of scenes with them. Um, but yeah, when you when you can't see them, it makes them that much scarier. It's a it's a nice touch to ratchet up the fear. Yeah, and again, kind of like the opposite of Saving Private Ryan, especially you know with the the D Day sequence, you we can see the bunkers, we can see the measures that they put forth to stop the Allied forces from gaining foothold uh, on the beach in Normandy. Whereas opposed to here, we can't see anything. We can't see the bunkers. We can't see the guns. We can't see the enemy. It's uh, it's just so two contrasting movies. It's it's it was it's very enjoyable to see the difference between the two, and again, it's it's un it's unfortunate for this movie that it came out this year because it kind of got swept under the rug. I I I think if this again, I think if this came out in another year, this is uh, this is a movie that could go that could possibly go down as a classic. I'm I'm very glad to hear that you enjoyed it and it's it's this year where all five films really 
stood out where I'm glad that we kind of decided to take this uh, this approach to talking about them. Although we could have done it with the the last Oscars we did with uh, American Beauty and Green Mile and Insider and Sixth Sense and what was the other one? I'm missing one. There's always one bad one every year. It's probably the bad one. Cider House Rules? Yes. No. No, that wasn't the same year, was it? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, we had to sp- we would have had to spend an episode on Cider House Rules. Ugh. Would have been the shortest <laughs> episode ever. Twenty minutes. I'm sure there will be one of those. If we're gonna continue doing this format, we're gonna have some twenty minute episodes coming up. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna look ahead. We're gonna have to find like some other thing to talk about that week. <laughs> we'll, have... <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll plan a backup movie. I know the next the next one. I think we're fine. Are we? Yeah. The, the shortest episode will still be a fun one because the, the five movies we have coming up are Titanic, uh, As Good As It Gets, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, which I'm so fucking excited for you to watch, and The Full Monty. Now, The Full Monty will probably be the shortest episode, but that movie's fun as shit. Can I, can I tell you something? I, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, probably. Yeah. I am so goddamn excited to do a full episode on Goodwill Hunting. Oh, I know. Yeah. One, of my, one of my all-time favorites. That's going to be a long episode. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> see, I'm going to see if I can convince T-Bone to join us for that episode. because that, I love it. I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that's his number one movie. It it alternates. If you can ask me on any given day if my number one movie is Inglorious Bastards or Goodwill Hunting, and it, it changes. I'm pretty sure Goodwill Hunting is number one. I'm gonna see if I can find find his list. I know he posted his list on Facebook years ago. I think Goodwill Hunting was number one, and I think the only one I can remember for sure is Rudy, and I think that was number three. Rudy is number three. He fucking loves Rudy. I mean. I love Rudy. I don't love Rudy, but Rudy's good. I don't know. <laughs> Rudy's a really good cheesy sports movie. Yeah, it is. He love. He fucking loves Rudy. I'll I'll always have a soft spot for Sean Astin because he gave me the nickname that's followed me probably longest in my life, and that's Samwise. A quick question for you. Yeah. We, we, is your actual first name Samuel? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. I had someone ask, and I was like, I'm pretty sure it is. Yep, it's Samuel. Perfect. It's on, on my driver's license. Well, <laughs> on my expired learner's license. <laughs> awesome. Um, so after they take the hill, um, there actually is that one good scene where uh, John Cusack does uh, volunteer to lead the attack up the hill. It's a, ni- it's a, it's a really great scene, kind of like, I guess, the... I guess that would be was is that kind of like the biggest action scene of the movie? Is when that Yeah, the battle on top of the hill? Yeah, the battle with the seven guys that go up? Yeah, I would say that's it. Yeah. It's maybe pretty... uh, maybe the raid of uh of the Jap there's a, there's like a raid of a Japanese camp uh with all the uh Japanese uh wounded that we see. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's probably it's probably the the top of the hill. Yeah, I think the the top of the hill, there kind of seems to be more action. I feel that the raid on the Japanese, or I shouldn't even say it's a raid on the Japanese camp. It's them kind of just moving forward at a, you know, at a running pace. I don't feel there's a lot of action. I just think the camera's moving so fast it feels that way. That's probably true. Right, because the, the Japanese don't really fight back too much when they attack the camp. Um... 
and I, I don't feel that anything really stood out in the... Well, on the, the attack at the top of the hill is really well done. There's some, some tense moments. There's some good moments. And then, the, you know, in between this that th- them taking the top of the hill and the attack on the camp, we have that, that great scene that we already talked about between Nolte and Cusack. And then we get into the attack on the camp, and I don't feel anything really great happened in there. Like, nothing that really stands out. We get to see these ema- emaciated... Emaciated? Yeah, that's right, right? Emaciated. Good word. Yeah. Emaciated Japanese soldiers, again, showing fear. A, a huge trend in this film. And then after they take the camp, that's where, again, we get another good scene between uh, Nolte and Koteas, where mm-hmm. Nolte tells him that he's relieving him of his duty, but he's still going to uh, recommend him for like the Silver Star and the Purple Heart and all these things and recommend that he goes and joins the JAG Corps and stuff like that. <clears throat> One thing I will say about um, the Japanese showing fear in this movie, I-, I honestly found it refreshing because in a lot of movies about the Japanese in World War II, they're sort of portrayed as maniacs, which I'm sure a lot of the time, like I know that there was a conscious effort on the Japanese side to inspire fear in the enemy and uh, just build a reputation of that. They were going to go down fighting if it meant bringing you down with them. Um, So that's all true, but it was a little bit refreshing to see bits and pieces, especially in the wounded of them showing fear. It was way more humanizing than in a lot of other world war two movies. Yes. Um, very similar to how great um, Letters from Iwo Jima was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly like that. Awesome. Um, I don't really have – there's kind of like a big lull for me in in my notes between the attack on the Japanese camp because the next thing I actually talk about is uh, poor Ben Chaplin getting that divorce letter. Yeah, fuck, that's brutal, hey? So, first of all, the uh, the flashbacks uh, to him and his wife just so did not feel, um, I don't know, authentic to me. It felt really cheesy. I'll, I actually just rewatched Her, a movie that I know you haven't watched. Yeah. Um, but the, the romance scenes in that movie, and there, there are flashbacks to a once-loving relationship that's gone bad, um, and, like, that's so effective in that movie... And after watching that and then watching this, I just the the whole the setup of of him and his marriage falling apart while he's away. I, I really liked the scene of him opening the letter and being devastated. It's by a it. great scene. It's a great scene. The build up to it was lacking for me. I, yep. I did not did not care for um, every time we found ourselves back in time with him and his wife. I just could not be bothered. Okay. How much do you know about this movie and everything and everything surrounding it? I, I, I'm going to assume next to nothing. Uh, yeah, you're, that would be correct. Okay. How much do you know about Terrence Malick, the filmmaker? Uh, also next to nothing. Okay. So when, when this movie was being made, Terrence Malick, he had made, I think, two well-received movies that I've never seen. I think one's called Badlands. Yeah. And, oh, hold on. Badlands and Days wow, of Heaven. Wow, he's been working a long time. Yes, I didn't realize but that. if you're looking at his list, look when Days of Heaven was and then The uh, Thin Red Line. 78, 
98. Yes, 20 years between films. Wow. So when he was when he was getting ready to make this movie, everybody in the world wanted to be in it. Yeah. Now, his rough cut of this movie was 5 hours and some like over 5 hours long. Holy shit. Yeah. So even though he trimmed it to just under 3, that's still a lot. Now, the most famous story about this is <clears throat> Adrian Brody, his character, Fife, in the book, is the main character of the book. No. Yes. So when he showed up at the premiere with his friends and family, he was under the impression that he was the lead of the movie. Oh, boy. Yes. He had no idea how much had been cut until he saw it at the premiere. Wow. I have a quote for that. Um, let's see here. Where is it? Um, well, I'll, I'll give you the whole thing here. The, yeah, edi- yeah. the editing resulted in many of the well-known cast members being on screen for only a brief period. John Travolta and George Clooney's appearances are little more than cameos, yet Clooney's name appears prominently in the marketing of the movie. The unfinished film was screened for the New York press in December of 1998, and Adrian Brody attended a screening to find that his originally significant role to carry the movie, as he put it, had been reduced to two lines and approximately five minutes of screen time. On April 15, 2001, an interview with Brody revealed that he was still upset over the removal of his work. He expressed his opinions in an interview with the London newspaper The Independent. Quote, I was so focused and professional, I gave everything to it, and then to not receive everything in terms of witnessing my own work, it was extremely unpleasant because I'd already begun the press for a film I wasn't really in. Terry obviously changed the entire concept of the film. I had never experienced anything like that. You know the expression, don't believe the hype? Well, you shouldn't, unquote. Whoa, someone's a little bitter, but honestly, I get it. It, I think that probably is a communication error by Terrence Malick. I think Terrence Malick as the director has should have final cut privileges. So if he wanted to uh, shoot and direct Adrian Brody for months on end and then cut him from the movie, that's within his rights to do so. But I think as a professional courtesy, that should be communicated to Adrian Brody, right? Yeah. There's lots of other... Um... Lots of other instances. Terrence Malick's actually really known. I don't. I remember when I saw this in a the theater. My biggest complaint, and I don't know if you felt the same way watching it. Obviously, this was your first time watching it. Mm-hmm. But again, I had seen this after. I obviously after I'd seen Saving Private Ryan because Saving Private Ryan came out in July and this was released in December. Didn't come to Kamloops until late January, early February, or I might have even had to go down to Vancouver to see it. Either way. We're looking at six months, six, seven months after I'd seen Saving Private Ryan. You're in the middle of a scene. There's even voiceover going on. And then all of a sudden, random shots of animals and foliage. I don't know if you picked up on it. Yeah. But there's a lot. There, yeah, I did pick up on There's a lot of beautiful nature shots. Yes. I love all the shots of the animals in this movie. I was totally digging it. I love the one. There's one of a tiny little baby bird on the ground crawling around during one of the battles yep it was great great shots at the time i won't lie back in in 1999 bothered the shit out of me really i didn't get it i'm like Mm. why are you showing me this right now i it makes no sense to me 
but there's lots of um uh, where is it i'm trying to find it here there's lots of times where he would be out filming and he would him and his, he would just take a camera and they would just go off like they're literally filming scenes and Malik would just take off and go film some of the some of that stuff. Have you ever seen again I'm looking through Terrence Malik's filmography again. I actually haven't even heard of a lot of his movies. One that I have heard of and heard is either excellent or really confusing depending on who you ask is The Tree, Tree of, of Life. Life. Yeah. Have you, have you ever seen it? Sure have. Don't get it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people that have uh, – a lot of like online reviewers and stuff say that it's excellent. It's, beautiful, it's a beautiful work of art. Others have said it makes no goddamn sense. I Is did. it worth a watch? Uh, nope. <laughs> nope, it's not. Not to me. I, I didn't get it. I had, I had no idea what I was watching. Not a clue. Yeah. Palm d'Or at the uh, 2011 Cannes Film Festival. Yep. But um, my ex-wife Julie loved it. Really? Absolutely loved it. And you were puzzled? I was completely baffled. I think it was like the only movie her and I almost ever disagreed on. Wow. Because the only reason I bring that up is because from my understanding, again, having not seen it, it seems like that's what we were talking about with the nature shots, but sort of like on acid. It's like there's all this – there's all this – there's all these visuals yes. which are spectacular but don't really make a lot of sense yeah there's fighting dinosaurs in that movie that's fucking cool yeah that's all i had to say why didn't you lead with that <laughs> i would have watched it immediately um there's lots of stuff like um but like that, and that's why when i jokingly said it at the beginning of this podcast everybody in the world is in this movie i was actually wondering how many times you're just like holy fuck Holy fuck. There's so many. Like, again, <laughs> as you know, when I haven't seen a movie before, I like to go in blind. I like to have no preconceived notions I if love I can that. And, and try to just make my own opinions about it. So I knew I knew next to nothing about this movie when I when I first started watching it. And the cast is ridiculous. There's just so it's, many people that pop up. It's compl- ridiculous. Not even just like like just randomly unannounced. Like the fact that. John Travolta is in one scene at the beginning or the fact that George fucking Clooney arguably one of the biggest stars in the world at the time that this came out I, I guess he he probably wasn't quite into Star like no, this is superstar. this is right when he was blowing up right so one of the biggest stars on the planet has one tiny tiny little scene towards the end it didn't make any goddamn sense it was kind of sweet it was good to see like it it was fun to watch especially like, I don't know, Woody Harrelson dying right off the bat. It made it unpredictable, I'll tell you that. It it, it was just I had whiplash from from looking at all the all the different stars in this movie. Uh, Actually there was there was one other story I just found as I was scrolling uh Wikipedia about this movie. Um I'm sure you probably have this. But you were talking about how everybody wanted to be in this movie. Yeah. Um casting for the film became a hot topic. When Sean Penn met Malik, he told him, give me a dollar and tell me where to show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. Um, other people that were left on the cutting room floor of this film, Bill Pullman, Gary Oldman, Lucas Haas, Viggo Mortensen, Martin Sheen, Jason Patrick, and Mickey Rourke. All of them filmed, cut. That's a shame. That's a real shame. Um, Billy Bob Thornton also gave over three and a half hours of voiceover narration. 
None of it shows up in the film. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy to me. That's absolutely crazy. There's also a huge dispute between the producers, uh, Robert Michael Geisler, that you mentioned before, and uh, John Roberto, Roberto, um, and uh, against uh, Malik, and it got uh, contentious. I have a Ooh. couple notes on there for you. Uh, just before I guess we get into the trivia, is there the is there anything else about the movie you really want to talk about? The only other I mean, thing- for for a three hour movie, it's surprising to me that there's so little to talk about. We we talked about sort of the generalities that are important, the cinematography being good, a couple of specific instances. I wanted to talk about the uh, the score, uh, the huge sprawling cast, but yeah, there, there was very little specific. Uh, very few specifics as far as plot points go for me that I want to talk about. Yeah, because it's so light on plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so the only other, I guess the only other aspect of the film itself that I really wanted, to, I, and not even that much, it's just the last note I have is the end of the movie where Wit escape, or leads the Japanese away to give his, uh, compra- his comrades yeah, to use a, I guess a, a Soviet term, uh, some more time to prepare. But when he gets surrounded, I just that it's filmed so well, and Caviezel gives such a great performance. In my mind, I'm like, I don't know what I would do in that instance. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, oh, that I guess that is one scene where there is some blood because when he does get shot, they do show some blood. Yeah, that's but true. it's that's like what maybe f- three frames. Like it's it's not it's. It's not a ton. No. There, there's, like we said, so little violence in this movie. Even when we see people stabbed with bayonets, it's, you know, one split second and uh, and a great sound effect, and that's it. That's that's one thing that the sound editing does do really well in this movie is make you think that you've just witnessed violence when you really haven't. Yeah. Uh, so to circle back to the, the notes I had, I got quite a bit here on this little tiff between the producers and the director. So uh, producers Robert Michael Geisler and John Roberto had a falling out with writer and director Terrence Malick during pre-production. By the time they were filming, their relationship had so deteriorated that Malick barred them from visiting the set. Uh, Malick tended not to wait for ideal light. Oh, this is oh that was the thing I was looking for, so I'm going to go back to that one. Uh, prior to the film's release, the producers allegedly violated a, confidenti- a confidentiality clause they had signed by giving an interview to Vanity Fair about their long involvement with Terrence Malick. Malik was so upset that Geisler and Roberto had to sign another agreement stating that they would not attend the Oscar ceremony. If they violated that agreement, their names would be stripped from the film and video credits. Whoa. Yeah. The producers who were feuding with Malik said they would attend the Oscar ceremonies. Malik said if they were going to attend, he would stay home. None of them attended the Oscars. The movie won no awards. <laughs> and then, uh, let's see. Uh, Okay, several weeks before film began, Malik told Geisler and Roberto not to show up in Australia where the film was being made, ostensibly because George Stevens Jr. would be the on-location producer, supporting line producer Grant Hill. Malik told them that they had upset the studio for refusing to give above-the-title production credit to Stevens. He did not tell them, however, that in 1996 he had a clause inserted in his contract barring the producers from the set. Geisler and Roberto were mystified about this behavior. Geisler told Entertainment Weekly, I didn't think he was capable of betrayal of this magnitude. 
Terrence Malick, kind of a kind of a dick. Yeah. And then um, the one thing as well, this was the note I was looking for earlier. Um, Malik tended not to wait for ideal lighting conditions, but would shoot the same scene three times when it was overcast, in bright sunlight, and in ideal light. This way, he had all the conditions covered. When it came time to edit, he would decide which is the best lighting for a specific sequence and use those scenes shot in that particular light. That's a fuck ton of work, man. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are the main uh, those those all the notes I have. Uh, I actually have a quick question about the movie. Yeah, uh, is John C. Riley in every Oscar-nominated movie ever made? <laughs> We're getting a lot of them, hey. I have I had no idea. I swear to God, growing up, he was the guy from Step Brothers to me. That yep. was that was who John C. Riley was. He was the other guy from Step Brothers. He is in everything. Is this the third Oscar-nominated film we have? We've had there was him? three in a year that we saw him in. So there was four. Okay, so the the hour Chicago. This what's the one I'm missing? Gangs of New York. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That, that's four. Dude is insane. <laughs> I'm trying to. I swear to God, we've seen him in more than that. Even uh, maybe maybe I'm missing it. I'm trying to pull up his filmography real quick. But yeah, dude is an absolute powerhouse. John C. Riley, if you're listening, and I know you are, do more good movies. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, I can't find him. Um, <clears throat> Let's see if I can... Uh... For some reason, there's no filmography on his Wikipedia page. That's really dumb. I know. There he is. Okay, here. I got him here. Okay. It's going to have to... We'll have to go... Uh, 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 uh. I have to go here. Okay. So oh, it's go. a shame we, don't, shame we don't get to talk about Boogie Nights next year. Oh, okay. Shame that wasn't nominated because that's a really good movie. All right, I'm I'm going quickly through. Uh, no, okay. I don't think that was nominated. Okay. Uh, da, da, da. Thin Red Line. There's one. Mm, I don't think Meg. Nope. Obviously, Magnolia didn't, but definitely should have. Uh, Gangs of New York, Chicago, The Hours. So that's four. Oh, The Aviator. Five. Yep, that's another one. So that's five, and I think that's all because now I'm getting into his his shitty stuff here. <laughs> yeah, everything Talladega Nights and after, which, by the way, Talladega Nights, guilty pleasure for sure. All right. Okay, yeah. Five, and then he was just in this year, I haven't seen it yet, um, called uh, Stan and Ollie. Oh, yeah, I haven't haven't seen that. Yeah, I think pretty sure hold on i just want to double check yeah no it didn't i thought it yeah it got a golden golden gold nomination um so yeah that's five he's been in five oscar nominated films five best picture nominees yeah that's pretty fucking good and that's in a short span too yeah yeah um so i have a few obviously uh casting rumors since sure. everyone in the world is in this um, Tom Sizemore, uh, Tom Sizemore landed a part in the film, but decided to take a role in Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan instead. Uh, Terrence Malick offered Edward Norton a part, having been impressed by his performance in Primal Fear. Norton even flew out to Austin to meet Malick, but he wasn't cast. Wow. Maybe two I guess he was doing American History X instead, right? Yeah. Maybe two assholes couldn't get along. Yeah. Um, 
1995, once word went out that Malick was making another movie after many years, numerous actors approached him, flooding the casting directors until they had to announce that they wouldn't be accepting any more requests. Some A-class actors, including Brad Pitt, Al Pacino, Gary Oldman, and George Clooney, offered to work for a fraction, and some even offered to work for free. Bruce Willis even went as far as offering to pay for first-class tickets for the casting crew to get a few lines for the movie. Uh, In 95, Malick staged a reading with Martin Sheen delivering the screen directions and Kevin Costner, Will Patton, Peter Berg, Lucas Haas, and Dermot Mulroney playing the main roles. In June of that year, a five-day workshop was scheduled uh, with Brad Pitt dropping by and culminating with Malick putting on the soundtrack of Where Eagles Dare and playing Japanese taiko drums. Uh, Malick met with Johnny Depp about the project at the Book Soup Bistro on the Sunset Strip. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris was considered for the role that went to Lucas Haas, uh, but that role was eventually left on the cutting room floor anyways. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Matthew McConaughey, Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, Nicolas Cage, Kevin Costner, Peter Berg, Ethan Hawke, Dermot Mulroney, and William Baldwin were all considered for the roles, were all considered for roles and met with Malick. Uh, Josh Hartnett auditioned for the film eight times, but he never once met Terrence Malick. That's depressing. Uh, Harrison Ford turned down the role of Gordon, of Gordon Tall. That's Nick Nolte's role. I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then before casting was finalized, Nicolas Cage had lunch with Terrence Malick in Hollywood. Malick went off to scout locations and tried calling Cage that summer only to find out that his phone number had been disconnected. Nicolas Cage is in everything now. Yes. I would have I loved to have... <laughs> I tell you what, with all the actors showing up unannounced in this movie, nothing would have made me happier than to see Nicolas Cage <laughs> randomly show up and have some like way over the top scene randomly. <laughs> so that's everything. Uh, your favorite scene, Samuel? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say uh, the, like the scene in the grass because I guess it's all in the grass, <laughs> but um. <laughs> I, I don't know. If I had to pinpoint one character moment, it might be the scene between Staros and uh, Tall? and Lieutenant Colonel Tall um, over the phone uh, when Staros has to refuse Nolte's order. Um, it's it's a really ballsy move, and I, I, I respected it for sure. You and I are just too similar because that is my favorite scene by far. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm just realizing, looking through this cast list, another person we didn't really talk about, Tim Blake Nelson, randomly in this movie. I like how we say it's randomly. It's not random. It is random. <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson has no reason to be in this movie, or really any movie that he's in, but it was interesting to see him. <laughs> I say that kindly. I like Tim Blake Nelson. There's probably like a good, I don't know, probably a good five or six people that are in this movie that we didn't even talk. Actually, you know what's funny? I kept mentioning, I kept meaning to mention this. Um, but I never did. Hold on. I'm going to quickly find the name of the person. So, uh, ah, there it is. Okay. Um, we mentioned it, but I, I'm going to assume you didn't recognize her cause she's so young. The wife in the flashbacks. Yeah. Um, I totally did recognize her, but I don't know why. It's Eowyn. It's okay. Mar- yeah, it's, that makes it's sense. Miranda Otto. Miranda Otto. I'm trying to find her on Wikipedia, but nope. Oh, there she is. I felt like I recognized her for something else, but yeah, definitely Aowen now that you mention it, 100%. <clears throat> uh, 
Yeah, other people in the movie. Nick Stahl was in the movie. Uh, Thomas Jane with a cameo. Who's that? Thomas Jane? Yeah, who, who was he? He was the guy that uh, Caviezel ran into walking back that had the fucked up leg. Right, yes. Yeah. Um, Are we just going through IMDb right now? Yeah, I'm just taking a quick look if I missed anybody. No, that's everybody. Everyone's going to be upset if you missed their shout-out. I know, right? Yeah. I know that... Uh, <clears throat> I can't even remember his fucking name right now. I know that uh, Tim Blake Nelson uh, was almost upset with me. And uh, hi, Tim. <laughs> I, I know you're fre- fre- frequent listener. Hi, Tim. <laughs> on for first name basis. First Sam, name basis. your final thoughts on The Thin Red Line. Final thoughts on Thin Red Line. It was, I'm not going to lie to you, it's a weird one for me, Manny. It's, uh, I, I did get enjoyment out of it. It was a lot of fun to watch. It's certainly a very competently made movie. A lot of talented people at the helm. Uh, like, like we sort of alluded to, one of the highlights is just getting to see the huge amount of talent that they have on screen and then don't utilize. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of hilarious in a really, in a really fucked up way. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really enjoyable movie. It has a fantastic score. It has a uh, really good cast. Um, unfortunately, it, it's somewhat aimless. It really doesn't have a point or it, it appears to try to have a point uh, that I just don't get. Um, there's a lot of metaphysical stuff that's way over my head um, that maybe could benefit from uh, a second or third viewing. Overall, enjoyable experience, but uh, yeah, just just a really weird in that, again, having watched Saving Private Ryan so recently, it just, it feels so second best. It's so second best to that movie. And it's to the point where, while I did enjoy this movie, I would have been actively mad if this had won. Just as I, I mean, I was mad that Shakespeare in Love won anyway, but I almost would have been as mad if, the, if this won simply because it's so clearly second best. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I definitely have enjoyed this movie more as time has gone on is it is it in the same category as saving private ryan uh in the fact that they're both about world war ii yes in the in the area of uh filming expertise not even close as a cinematic experience it 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 pales in comparison to saving private ryan but that's comparing it in my opinion to one of the greatest movies ever made this is still a great movie. In my opinion, there are five reasons to watch this movie. One, Sean Penn. Two, Jim Caviezel. Three, Nick Nolte. Four, Elias Coteas. Five, and the best reason, the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Other than that, the lack of focus, the lack of a main plot, it does hinder the film overall. I would be, I won't lie, I would be completely interested in watching that five-hour cut. I like Me too. To see the stuff, like, probably Ben Chaplin, that's the guy who gets the Dear John letter, mm. how, much, how much of his stuff was cut out, like, his whole flashbacks with his wife, how much of it, like, Adrian Brody thought he was the lead in this movie, only to find out he has five minutes of screen time, so what was cut out of his? It's, there's so much that's missing from this movie and even that, there's three hours, and it's still, it's still really, it's still really good. Again, 
with those four actors' performances and the fifth being how gorgeous this movie looks. It's definitely worth a watch, 100%, which if you're listening to this episode, you've already watched it, so you know I maybe should have put this at the beginning of the episode. Um, it, it's, yeah, go watch The Thin Red Line if you haven't already. Yeah, it's... It's a really, it is a really great movie. Again, it just suffers from poor timing. I, I bet you could probably learn a lot about a person by their opinion on this movie. I agree. Because this is a, this is a, it seems like it would be a polarizing film. It, I, I agree with that as well. This is, this is a very philosophical film, and this is a very, as pretentious as it sounds, this is a very artsy film. This mm-hmm. is, this is artsy fartsy, and. I fully I, I admit think, that I don't get it. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, is just that I don't think it's pretentious to say that it's an artsy movie because you and I both freely admit we didn't get this movie. Yeah. This is There's a lot that I think um, people smarter than you and I are going to be able to dissect and dive into and love, um, but I don't think... Were those people? Maybe, maybe we will be on uh, on repeat rewatches. You've seen it several times already. I've maybe, maybe I'll pick something up myself after after a couple more. But as of right now, I have no idea what this movie was trying to tell me. Yeah, yeah. I may, maybe in another twenty years I'll get it. Who knows? Yeah, I'll revisit it in twenty years. It's like the ending of American Beauty. You probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's okay. You will someday. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Sam, your uh, rating. Of a thin red line, I have my prediction, and I'm okay. I'm unsure of it, but I, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty confident. Oh, okay. I I I was up in the air until probably this last little wrap up. Yeah, I think it's a three. I, and again, that's just sort of my rating in the moment right now. Yeah. I think on rewatch, I really do think there's a lot to dissect in this movie, uh, and I think I could probably find some more enjoyment in it on rewatch. I but agree. as of right now, I'm kind of left walking away from it more confused than anything. Not to mention the the unfocused nature of it kind of made it um, a little bit of a difficult watch towards the end. That being said, there's a lot there's a lot to enjoy here, um, just from a filmmaking perspective. So yeah, I think I think in three territory uh, with the right or with the right being reserved to upgrade to a four at a later date. Yeah, I think uh, I think 100. percent this is a kind of movie that when you when you rewatch it, I think it's going to increase your ranking of it. Yeah. And I, I think um, one thing I want to say before we get off of it is just that I respect the shit out of m- filmmakers like this who make the movie that they want to make and take risks. Um, Terrence Malick clearly had a vision for this movie. Maybe he didn't even know what it was since he cut out like two hours from it. But (laughs) nonetheless, I respect him for making the movie that he wanted to make. Um, He very clearly, even from my from my limited expertise of him, he he seems to have sort of a distinct style Mm -hmm. of being of being a very uh, show don't tell person and being a uh, very metaphysically inclined director. So kudos to him for making the movie he wanted. Um I don't get it, but, you know, I, I can't hate him for it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, oh, my, uh, my rating. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, I'm, is, is, are you at a four? I am at a four, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I won't lie. Uh, after my, much like you, at my first viewing, 100% I would have given it a three. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of scratching my head. Yeah, definitely a three in 1998, or sorry, 1999 when I watched it. Uh, 20 years later, it's upgraded to a four. Cool. 
That'll probably be me as well. Yeah. Well, that wraps up uh, Thin Red Line, but don't turn off the podcast hey, just stop. yet. Stop. Don't don't turn it off. Yeah, we actually are now going to wrap up the entire aspect of the last five episodes. Last four? Five. Five. This five one. Included. This this is five. Yeah. So five. this and last four. Ha. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to uh, discuss uh, the Oscars. Did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, I, I I gave a heads up to Sam. I got four questions for him and I to ponder over. And by ponder over, they have to ponder over for nanoseconds because I'm going to ask them live on air. I have not heard these questions. Yes. I am worried I'm going to make an ass of myself. You won't. They're, they're honestly, they're, they're the kind of the questions that we ask every episode when we do the Oscars retrospectives anyways. They're just put down. So right. the first question as we dip into Oscar talk is, Sam... Did the Academy get it right in 1999? For uh, just the best picture? For the best picture. Best picture winner went to Shakespeare in Love. Did they get it right? Well, Manny, you've been sitting here talking to me for five weeks about this year now. What do you think? Do you think that I thought they got it right? Sure sure don't. I'm fairly certain my opinion on this, if anyone who's been listening to all five of these episodes has has been paying any sort of attention, you know that I do not think the Academy got this right at all. I think this is one of the most uh, criminal snubs in the history of the Oscars. Um, I I will say that I I think I found slightly more to enjoy about uh, Shakespeare in Love this time around, although not as much as I was hoping for. Um, Yeah, this is one of the biggest snubs for an oscar win of all time it should have been saving private ryan then it should have been saving private ryan five years after and it should have been saving private ryan today it's one of the best movies ever made i i echoes those statements pardon me i'm gonna think i'm gonna burp hold on <laughs> i did hopefully it didn't come out too much on this on the I, I didn't hear it perfect i think the fans appreciate it all right i i'm with you uh the academy did get it wrong uh awarding the oscar to shakespeare in love so you already answered the question, but the second question is what should have won for me? Definitely Saving Private Ryan. I believe that then, and I believe that now. Next question. So question number two, you, you answered when you answered the first question. Next question, Sam. With now 20 years gone by, what film has stood the test of time? Uh, if, I, if I'm picking one, I mean the easy answer is Saving Private Ryan. It's generally regarded as one of the greatest films ever made. With, I think, a shout-out to Life is Beautiful. Um, it's unfortunate because it doesn't get quite the recognition that Saving Private Ryan has deserved. Um, actually, you know what? Maybe, I, I might take that back because I think Life is Beautiful. I'd be curious to see how other people my age would react to that movie uh, these days because I know even back then there was a lot of people, including Spielberg himself, who said that Life is Beautiful um, was making light of the Holocaust, which uh, you and I, of course, didn't see that way. Anyone who listened to our episode on it would know that. Yep. Um, so I'm curious to see how in this age uh, of outrage culture um, and, uh, you know, what some people see as uh, uh, political correctness running rampant, I'd be curious to see how other people my age view life is beautiful now. Um, so for that reason, I mean, sort of a boring, easy answer, but again, I think of all of these, the clear answer is Saving Private Ryan. It's just widely regarded as uh, one of the all-time greats. Yeah, again, I'm going to echo those statements. <laughs> I believe out of the five films, the, uh, that film has stood the test of time. Rewatching it, all the special effects still hold up. 
the performances still hold up, the messages still stand up. It, it still is riveting then, or sorry, it's still riveting now as it was then. It is, uh, it is considered one of the greatest films ever made, and will definitely stand the test of time from now for eternity. Again, if we're looking at the legacies of all these movies, I think all you can say about Shakespeare in Love, other than it won Best Picture, is that it's the movie that robbed Saving Private Ryan of Best Picture. That's how most film fans know Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. Uh, and then the last question, have any of them not aged well? I don't think any of them have necessarily gotten worse over time. Um, like I said, I'd be curious to see how other people react to Life is Beautiful. I think... That 59 Metascore, I would hope it comes up in time because 59 for that movie is criminally low. Um, I don't think the opinion on Shakespeare in Love has gone down per se. I'm fairly certain that at the time it was considered a huge upset, and uh, I think it's still considered a huge upset now. Um, I don't know. As, as someone who wasn't around really back then, I was two years old when these Oscars were being played, mm-hmm. um, I, I my my judgment of things standing the test of time might be a little bit rusty, but off the top of my head, I'd say um, Saving Private Ryan has been solidified as a, as a classic. Life is beautiful. I, w- I would be curious to see uh, how it's done, and Shakespeare in Love, at best, has held steady. Mm, fair enough. Mm. Uh, I'm with you there. I don't think any of them have aged poorly. I guess the best way for for perhaps you to look at it, since we're now diving back into films that were made when you were still wearing diapers, mm-hmm. is did if if you were watching them, were any of them dated? Did any of them like just seem antiquated or out of touch or anything like uh, that? Not not really. I think um, there was there was one moment in Shakespeare in Love where I thought, boy, if this was made today, this would get flayed. Um, but there's a moment where uh, where Shakespeare dresses in drag, and I, I just thought that that would that sort of joke probably wouldn't fly with audiences as well in 2019 today. But that's sort of even a half-assed answer because uh, the uh, the dressing in drag as a disguise trope um, was sort of a, a shout out to Shakespeare himself. Shakespeare threw a lot of those sorts of things in his plays, so even something like that, I don't think would even age that poorly. I, I think most of these still hold the reputation they held back then. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, okay, Sam, what are your rankings of the five films? So, uh, starting from the bottom, uh, number five, I had Shakespeare in Love. No surprises there. Um, I'm going to predict that we have all of the same except for three and four. So at four, I have Elizabeth, just below Thin Red Line. Um, Thin Red Line at number three. Uh, Life is Beautiful at 2, Saving Private Ryan in 1. I'm going to go ahead and predict we have the same list, but you have Elizabeth at 3 and Thed Red Line at 4. <laughs> That's exactly true. <laughs> we're way too in tune. Yeah, way too in tune. It, it's, <laughs> I, it's pretty easy, though. Like, these were all really good movies with 2 being exceptional. Yes. Um, oops, oops, whatever, that works. All right, so that wraps up the discussion on the Oscars, but we're not quite done with 1998 yet. There's, this, it's the episode that keeps on giving. I know. So uh, like we usually do with our previous Oscar retrospectives, as we kind of like to look back at the rest of the movies in that year. Now, normally I kind of give a little recap on what happened that year, but I didn't really do that for this one because we're, 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 we're experimenting. We're trying some things out here. Also, but, we're busy motherfuckers. Leave us alone. That is true. Very, very true. 
But we did take a look back at the films that were released in 1998, and we listed off uh, ones that we enjoyed. Um, but we kind of broke down our enjoyment into two categories, movies that we actually liked and some guilty pleasures. Yes, indeed. Who's going to go first, Sam? Uh, why don't you go first? Why don't you tell me, uh, since you have, from what I understand, such a big sprawling list, uh, what movies from 98 did you like? All right. So let's start with the movies that I enjoyed. These are not my guilty pleasures. These, in my opinion, are actually good movies. Now, some <clears> of them still, some of them are, a, a couple of them are comedies or adventure films. But these are actually, in my opinion, what are good movies. And they are, in no particular order, The Big Lebowski, Bullworth. The Truman Show, Out of Sight, Lethal Weapon 4, The Mask of Zorro, Saving Private Ryan, The Negotiator, Blade, Rounders, Ronin, What Dreams May Come, Rushmore, Life is Beautiful, Pleasantville, American History X, Elizabeth, Enemy of the State, A Bug's Life, Shakespeare in Love, A Simple Plan, You've Got Mail, and the thin red line. Why don't you tell me the movies you enjoyed, Sam, and then we'll talk about our guilty pleasures. Much shorter list, but a decent amount of overlap. Big Lebowski, Insomnia, Mulan, Saving Private Ryan, Life is Beautiful, Pleasantville, American History X, Elizabeth, A Bug's Life, The Thin Red Line, The Truman Show. All right. You know, I want to do a quick recap. Sure. I'm going to go through everything on your list I've seen. Let's, I'm gonna, okay. let's quickly go through mine again, and you... Tick off the ones that you have seen and not seen. Okay. All right. Big Lebowski, obviously you've seen. Seen it. Bullworth. No. Have you even heard of it? No. All right. Truman Show? Yeah. Yes. Out of Sight? No. Lethal Weapon 4? No. When you, if, it's a, if I say a movie you haven't even heard of, I want, you to, I want you to announce that as well. Okay. The Mask of Zorro? No. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, obviously. The Negotiator? Never heard of it. Blade? No. Okay, I'm going to go back to the negotiator. Here's an idea of the negotiator. <clears throat> okay. Quick, pl- quick plot synopsis. Okay. Samuel L. Jackson, Kevin Spacey, they're both hostage negotiators. Some, I, I can't remember why, but for some reason, Samuel L. Jackson has to take hostages, and he asks specifically for Kevin Spacey to come be his hostage negotiator, so it's them tete-a-tete. That sounds ridiculous. I love it. It's it's a it's a pretty good movie. Hmm. The Negotiator. Yeah. Okay. Blade. I uh, have not seen. Oh. Uh, uh, parts I think on like I don't know late night TV. All right. Obviously you've seen Rounders. Yeah. Ronan. No. Okay. Uh, what dreams may come. Never heard of it. Great movie. Visually stunning. Uh. Not giving out spoilers here. What dreams may come, <clears throat> Robin Williams dies, goes to heaven, and tries to get his way back to uh, try and prevent his wife from committing suicide because if she commits suicide, she'll be trapped in purgatory. Damn. Yeah. Fine. That's a rough recap in my head. I like me some Robin Williams. It's it's visually stunning. That's definitely a movie you want to watch with a good TV. Mm-hmm. All right, Rushmore. No. Uh, Life is Beautiful, Pleasantville, yeah. American History X. Yes, it oh. is on my list. All right, all right. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, Enemy of the State. No. Okay, Will Smith action movie. 
Uh, obviously, you've seen A Bug's Life, Shakespeare in Love. A Simple Plan? Uh, my dad likes that movie. I have, I've never seen it. All right. You've got mail? Uh, I actually have seen it, believe it or not. Nice. And then The Thin yeah. Red Line? Yes. All right. Not bad. There's no. only a few on there. All right. Cool. Uh, I went first uh, last time. Sam, fire off your guilty pleasures of the year. So I want to preface this <laughs> by saying that I was two at the time. Uh, so if there are some shit movies on here, uh, you know, I think I can be forgiven. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> Please tell me Air Bud's on here. Is Air Bud this year? I have no idea. <laughs> if Air Bud was this year, it's absolutely on this list, but it didn't show up in my research. So have, you honest, have you seen Air Bud? What kind of a fucking question? Of course I've seen Air Bud. That's a, that I, is a guilty pleasure for the ages. I have not seen Air Bud. You have not seen Air Bud? Fuck no! <laughs> oh, man. What the, would ever I'll you, possess... Tell you what. I'll tell you what. Don't no you spoilers dare. For all the people, no spoilers out there for the people who are going to go out and watch Air Bud. But there's a scene in that movie. That, that's got to be one of the first movies ever to make me cry. No. Yeah. Air Bud's got to be one of the first movies ever to make me cry. There's a scene, anyone who's seen it will probably, well, I'm just going to say it, whatever. There's a scene where he tells Airbud that he doesn't want him anymore. He doesn't want to, doesn't want to be his owner anymore. And he like, <laughs> he, like throws him away and Airbud runs away. I cried endlessly at that scene when I was a kid. Is, uh, is, uh, okay. How well do you remember the movie? <clears throat> Not really well. There's like a, there's like a, a clown or something. Like, first of all, okay. There, there's a kid who's a loser who wants to join his basketball team. Um, and he kind of sucks, and then he, like, discovers the stray dog, who it turns out is just really good at basketball, and then I remember there's one famous line, I think it was in the trailer, where some, some, like, janitor or something goes, ain't no rule that says a dog can't play basketball, or something like that, I don't know, uh, yeah, so this dog, is the first one basketball? I'm, re- I'm recalling that correctly, right? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> uh, how am I doing so far? Okay. So, if I said the character name Norm Snively, would you know who that is? Is that... Maybe. That name sounds like he... Apparently, in the plot, it's a circus dog who escaped from a cruel master. That's right. That's why the clown's there. Would Norm Snively be the cruel master? I believe that would be him, yes. Okay. The actor that played Norm Snively is the guy that played Delacroix in Green Mile. Really? Yeah, Michael Jeter. That is the most random movie fact I now know. By the way, did this movie even come out in 1998? 97, I just checked. So we're we're discussing this, but we'll be discussing it more in the next Oscar episode. I tell you what, I want to rewatch Air Bud now. I have probably not seen that movie in 15 years. I probably watched that movie when I was like 7 or 8. That's incredible. It, uh, It didn't even get enough reviews to make a Metacritic. Oh man, what a question! I have you seen Airbud? You have you've not? Hey, no, fuck, no, ninety seven. Yeah, I, I have to comes out ninety seven. I'm twenty two years old. I'm not fucking watching Airbud as a twenty two year old. You're 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 missing out on a classic. I, All right, Gu- guilty pleasures. I've not even listed one of these, by the way. So, <laughs> okay, as you go through them, I'll see if I if I've seen them as well. Uh, Manny, have you seen the uh, the family comedy Christmas classic Jack Frost starring Michael Keaton? I have. Didn't like it. Yeah, I, I would imagine that. Uh, have you seen a another family comedy starring a uh, young up-and-coming star named Lindsay Lohan called The Parent Trap? I have. Did like it. Really? Yes. Surprised. I mean, I haven't, again, haven't seen either of those two movies in like 15 years, so sure. Um, Godzilla. I uh, hated it. 
yeah um again haven't seen that movie in some time remember liking it on tv another movie that i'm fairly certain you hate uh fear and loathing in las vegas hey, yeah definitely hate it yeah um and you actually put this i think in your liked movies i i had it in my liked movies and slipped it into guilty pleasures but rounders yes love yes. love rounders love love rounders, rounders. Rounders is a tough one. It's cheesy as fuck. It really is. I just recently watched it for the first time, actually. Um, it's pretty damn cheesy, but it's a, it's a good time. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's on the list of movies that we'll be reviewing at some point down the line. Yeah. I actually, I just uh, I recently, in the last couple of months, taught Jordan how to play poker. So I figure Rounders should be on the, on the watch list for 100%. us. 100%. Uh, that's my guilty pleasures. That's all of them. All right. We'll go through mine a little bit slower as well. These sure. are my guilty pleasures. The Wedding Singer. Uh, believe it or not, I have that's Adam Sandler, right? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It's it's one of the few Adam Sandler movies that I like. Okay. And it's mostly because he's actually not doing his Adam Sandler shtick. Yeah, he's not doing like the silly voices and whatnot. Yeah, he's actually he's it's actually really sweet. It's a really sweet fun movie. Okay. All right. The Man in the Iron Mask. Nope. All right. It's uh, basically kind of a retelling of The Three Musketeers. Okay. Uh, let's see if I can remember this correctly. No, I can't. It, it, I, all I know for sure is uh, it's Leonardo DiCaprio and John Malkovich. Those are the two people I know that are in the movie 100%. I think, do, you want me to, do you want me to get the, the other ones? I think it's Oliver Platt and Gerard Depardieu. Whoa. All right, let's see if my slow internet is uh, up to the task. Okay. Um, yeah, who do we got here? Uh, Jeremy Irons. Oh, Jeremy Irons, that's right. I think, if, yeah. is, it, is it still John Malkovich? Yep, it's uh, Leo, Jeremy Irons, John Malkovich, Gerard Depardieu, uh, Gabriel Byrne as D'Artagnan. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, Oliver Platt's yeah. not in it then. I'm thinking of a different one. Yeah, I do not see an Oliver Platt on okay, here. Okay, so I was I was close. Okay, not bad. All right, Wild Things. No. All right. Uh, remember when I saw this? I was 22 years old. So for those of you keeping, out, keeping in mind that I am currently 22 years old. Yes. Uh, do you know Wild Things? I do not know. Okay. Uh, again, this is pre-internet. So uh, this is a very highly sexual movie. With quite a bit of nudity, and yeah, and a threesome scene between Denise Richards, Nev Campbell, and fuck, why can't I remember his name? I can see his face. He was the racist cop in Crash. Matt Dillon. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh man. And there's a complete uh, lesbian makeout scene between uh, Denise Richards and. Uh, and Nev Campbell in that movie too. Yes. Uh, so, uh, what Oscars was that nominated for? <laughs> uh, some categories I don't want to mention. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> City of Angels. Uh, don't know it. Never heard of it. Nope. No, no, no. Uh, it is a. It's a romantic movie. It's not a rom com. It's uh, Nicolas Cage plays an angel who is falls in love with Meg Ryan who is a nurse so oh, he God. he falls from heaven be, to become human so he can be with her not going to lie to you Manny that sounds terrible it's uh yeah it is that's why it's in the guilty <laughs> that's why it's in the guilty pleasures 
All right. I guess so. Hey, more power to yeah. you. The Big Hit. Also don't know it. Oh. I, I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> the Big Hit is a movie that we came within millimeters of watching for this set, for this ep, for this for this episode for this podcast, and it's yeah. still on my list. It is so bad, my friend. It is a horrible film that you will hate me for making us watch. Okay, are you going to give me a rundown, or are you just like holding out until the, yeah, watch it? <laughs> the Big Hit stars um, uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg as a uh, professional hitman and he is also he's part of a hitman crew with uh, the other three are in this crew are uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, Bokeen Woodbine and uh, Antonio Sabato Jr. My goodness. Yeah. And I can't remember uh, one hit goes wrong or something like that and uh, hilarity and uh, violence ensues. Wait, so it's a it's a it's part comedy as oh, well. Oh, it's it's not just it, an action it's, flick. It's not part comedy. It's about seventy five percent comedy, and oh, that boy. and the, and the seventy five percent that's comedy. I'd say a good ten uh, percent of it is good. Okay, <laughs> all right, ten percent isn't bad. <laughs> no, ten percent of seventy five percent of the movie. Oh, I see. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good movie, and it's uh, horribly bad. Okay, uh, next up, Deep Impact. Uh, isn't that the Armageddon ripoff? Uh, or do I have that backwards? It is the same kind. Of, it's not a ripoff because Deep Impact. Here's the best way to describe Deep Impact. Okay. As Ar- I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the same quality. But as Armageddon is to Saving Private Ryan, Deep Impact is a thin red line. Gotcha. Deep Impact is the more serious of the asteroid films. Gotcha. So Armageddon, one of the greatest films ever made. Got it. <laughs> okay. Uh, can't hardly wait. Uh, no. High graduation party, high school party weekend thing. Last the last the last party of high school. That's all it is. Okay. It's a team. So it's, it's like. It's like your generation's uh, Project X, except probably better. Yes. You know what's did you funny? Did see Project X? I did, and it was surprisingly enjoyable. Yeah. That, speaking of movies with no plot that are somehow enjoyable. Yes. So you haven't seen Can't Hardly Wait. Hmm, interesting. No. I'm, I might have to. I'm going to add that to my list. Okay. Uh, obviously, Armageddon. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I wasn't listening. I'm, I'm looking at my notes right now. No, but wait. yes, uh, Armageddon, 100%. Okay. What about Basketball? Oh, man, I have seen Basketball, actually. <laughs> I'm I'm a South Park fan, so I like me some, <laughs> some Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Yeah, Basketball is a really dumb movie. That's a really dumb movie. I've... But I, I totally... You know what? I think if I had seen Basketball recently, it probably would have made the Guilty Pleasures list. But I have seen it. I fucking love that movie so much. Gonna be honest with you, last time I saw that movie, I was probably way too young to have seen that movie. Oh, God, so good. I still do a couple quotes from that movie. Uh, oh, Rush Hour. Actually, I haven't seen the original Rush Hour. Not, it's not bad. Yeah. Meet Joe Black. Nope, don't know it. <laughs> Are you ready for this one? Oh, I'm not ready for any of these. Much, much like the plot of City of Angels with Nicolas Cage. Oh, boy. <laughs> Brad Pitt plays death who takes human form to try to to experience to experience life 
as in <laughs> he. Manny is Manny's laughing right now because he can see that he's causing me physical pain by describing the plot of this movie to me. He allows Anthony Hopkins, who plays a, a billionaire of some sort, right, who is supposed to die, gives him. I think he gives him a couple extra months of life, but Anthony Hopkins has to show literally show death around before death takes him. He tells him he's like, "You're not gonna live, but I'm gonna let you stay alive a little bit longer," and then. Death falls in love with Anthony Hopkins' daughter. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and my last one, because I'm a nerd, Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah, I can't say I've seen that either. Yeah, all good. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I should have done, what we should set up is I should make you watch the trailers of the movies you haven't seen on my guilty That's- pleasure. <laughs> that's actually pretty good i like that <laughs> i kind of want to watch those tra- i'm gonna maybe off air i'm gonna watch those trailers with you before we call it a night okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm in for that okay so before we wrap up our show we have our five best picture nominees from 1998 uh i'll go first yep these are a combination of both my best picture nominees and favorite films of the year so my Five Best Picture nominees from 1998 are Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, Pleasantville, Saving Private Ryan, and The Truman Show. So, uh, yeah, I got my, my favorites as well. Okay. Um, I Mine were less about Best Picture, you know, I didn't really consider that. Although two of these were Best Picture nominees. So in alphabetical order, my top five favorites this year, yep. American History X, Life is Beautiful, Mulan, a totally underrated movie. Whoa! Uh, Saving Private Ryan and The Truman Show. Hold on, I need those again. American History X and what? American History X. Yep. Life is Beautiful. Ah. Mulan, Saving Private Ryan, Truman Show. Again, keeping in mind I was a child at this time, so Mulan's one of those movies I totally hold near and dear to my heart, but still holds up well, really, really well today. Underrated for the for Disney canon. Or, excuse me, for the Disney canon. Have you seen uh, the trailer for the live-action Mulan? I have not, actually. It's, uh... It's intriguing. Intriguing? Uh, in, in the fact that I think they're actually retelling the actual story of Mulan and not remaking the Disney movie. I'm okay with that. Whatever. Yeah, I, I won't. I won't lie. It looks good. Okay, I can. I can get on board with that. I, I'll tell you what. I'll fight anyone who says that uh, "I'll Make a Man Out of You" isn't the best song in the entire Disney canon. It's better. It is better. Wow. Than, it's better than uh, "I Just Can't Wait to Be King" from The Lion King. It's better than Hakuna Matata. It. It is the. I'll make a man out of you from Mulan. Best song in the Disney canon. Mark it down. Does that include Pixar? What's better in Pixar? Uh, you've got a friend in me. Shit. Yes. Fuck no. <laughs> I'm gonna. I. I won't lie. I haven't. I haven't heard that song in forever. But even that being said, oh, I don't know if you can. Oh man. Like, I actually really enjoy the song Beauty and the Beast. Okay. And I always love the song. Um, well, uh, uh, shit. Now I can't even think of it. 
I have uh, I have at Central Station Pub in Kamloops, British Columbia. Shout out to Central. Uh, I have sang uh, "I'll Make a Man Out of You" at karaoke um, multiple occasions, like more than I would care to admit. Under the influence of alcohol, who can know for sure? But <laughs> definitely sang it there several times in my life. Interesting. I'm definitely yeah. gonna listen to that song after this episode is it, over. It's just such a good pump up song. Like I, I think that Mulan is just like such a good, uh, like it's a girl power movie, right? And yeah, it's a, that song in particular is really good for pumping up. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Um, what is your favorite of those five, Manny? Uh, Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Weird. Um, I'm actually looking at my notes here. I also have Saving Private Ryan as my favorite. What? It's almost as though it's a pretty good movie. <laughs> I know we're bucking the trend here and and saying that Saving Private Ryan's actually a good film. I don't know if people have actually uh, watched this. I don't know if people have heard of this movie before us, but yeah, it's a, it's an unappreciated classic, it seems. <laughs> this definitely falls into our hidden gems. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, little hidden gem called Saving Private Ryan by an up-and-coming director named uh, uh, Spielberg. Am I saying that right? No, Stefan Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Stefan Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> I see good things in this man's future. Yeah, up-and-coming. All right, that wraps up our seventy-first uh, annual Academy Awards retrospective in a brand new format that Sam and I both totally love. So I hope you guys liked it too, because that's what's going to be happening going forward. <laughs> yeah, f- fuck <laughs> off with all this asking for feedback and stuff. This is the way it's going to be yeah. if you don't like it. Don't Again, it, we didn't get feedback, so silence means that it was great. <laughs> you should be really careful with that. I, I That's as far as I went this time. Okay, that's good. I know. I learned my lesson from an hour and a half ago. Apparently um, I did not. <laughs> Sam, what's uh, what's going on next week? Next week? Um, we got it. We had it. We had plans for a couple of things going on, but, uh, mainly it's going to be my pick. So actually it's my birthday coming up here in a little bit. So it's your birthday. Getting- Happy birthday. Yeah. October 18th. Um, Pacific Rim was the movie that I picked. I'm not going to lie. Manny does not appear to be too excited to talk about this movie. Um, I hope that he's going to find that it has a lot to offer. It is a good little action movie. It's directed by... Oscar-winning director, Manny. Oscar-winning director, Guillermo del Toro. So, um, I hope that we will have fun watching it. I hope we will keep an open mind and uh, we'll have a good time. I've seen this movie. You, you don't You don't seem amped. You don't seem amped. Because <laughs> I remember watching it in the theater going, what the fuck am I watching? Dude, again, my, minor spoiler for Pacific Rim. Not my, really. A minor spoiler? Minor, minor spoiler. This is my argument for people who don't think this movie's awesome, which it is. <laughs> an alien robot drags a cargo ship through the streets of Tokyo and beats a giant alien to death with it. That is my whole argument for this movie. That is what this movie is. It is not, I'm going to say this in air quotes, good, per se, <laughs> but it's awesome. This movie is basically the very definition of guilty pleasure. Oh, yeah. 100% a guilty pleasure. No no argument there. Guilty pleasure. But it's awesome. I, I won't lie. I'm only... I'm mock making... I'm... What's the... I'm, I'm impersonating someone that's not looking forward to watching this movie. <laughs> I'm... I'm intrigued to rewatch it because I haven't watched it since I saw it in the theaters. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know if I have either. I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> 
I, I'm looking at the date, and I'm almost positive I was there opening weekend. What's the date? Uh, July 12, 2013. I'm pretty sure I was there opening weekend. Pretty sure. Yeah, I was. I was. If I wasn't there opening weekend, I was there the following week. And I haven't watched it since. And I had no desire to ever watch this movie again. So maybe, maybe, much like a thin red line, my views will have improved upon this film. Much like a thin red line is a stretch, but yes. Oh, look at this. Um, I'm looking at now. It's actually going to be on TV this Friday. Whoa. On FX. How, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't have FX, so Manny's going to actually have to pay money uh, to watch this movie. Maybe I can. Your, your sacrifice has been noted and is appreciated. Yeah. Maybe I can race up to Walmart and see if it's in the bargain bin or something. <laughs> okay. All right. So next week we got Pacific Rim. Uh, for those of you that would like to, uh, we'd love to hear your feedbacks and opinions on our mini series on the 71st Annual Academy Awards retrospectives that we did and the format in which we did it. So if you want to reach out to us, you can contact us on Instagram and Facebook at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at Sam Manny movie podcast at gmail.com or you can uh, reach us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel movie podcast. Also, you can give us a like on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a little review, it will increase our profile so more people can follow and listen to our lovely little podcast. And like I said at the top of the show, if you're ever talking about podcasts and you're someone that listens to us, please mention to your friends. Get some more people listening. We would love to have uh, some more people and some more feedback. We love hearing from you guys. We really appreciate those that you listen. Uh, if you're listening to us, uh, I curious actually what app are you listening to us on are you listening to us on our website are you listening to us on google Podcasts or itunes or stitcher or luminary we would love to find out that's everything i have to say so for the samuel manual movie podcast i'm manny manual go straight up that goddamn hill i'm sam reimer adios